0: Turn with with me in your Bibles to John chapter one. We're going to read verses eighteen to thirty-four. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of John just to see who Jesus is. And if you remember, the one of the motifs we looked at, or the themes that John uses, is that of being in the courtroom. And so uh, the first eyewitness called to the stand in this story to, to show us Jesus, if you will, is, is John the Baptist, and he's going to teach us um, who, who Jesus is. So let's read this and, and pray. It's verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is the testimony of John. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And so they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, And this is God's Word. He has spoken to us today in love. Uh, this Word is true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I pray that this morning you would show us the grace and tenderness of Jesus as the one who takes away what is crushing us, our sin, our guilt, our fear. And so may we, like John the Baptist, become a people who are willing to diminish so that Jesus might increase that he might be seen and known and believed through our testimony. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start this morning by remembering what we went over last time briefly, right? That at the heart of the, the introduction of the Gospel of John, what he's saying, here's what you're going to see. It's in verse 18, right? That if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what how God thinks, what he loves, what's in his heart, uh, how he operates, how to relate to him. Verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, but he, the one who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Right? Jesus, what we're seeing is he, he exegetes, he makes clear who God is for us. And so now that we're leaving this the, the introduction, And we're jumping into the first testimony here. This is coming from John the Baptist, who's bearing witness so that all would believe in Christ. And and so this morning, what I want to do is let's learn from him, because we're going to see uh, John is very confident. And then we want to see, this passage is going to show us the source of John's confidence, and then we'll talk briefly about Jesus' baptism. Um, So let me ask you this where do you find confidence? Right, where, do you, where do you get your boldness, uh, your, your, your courage? In particular, especially when you're under the microscope, when you're being criticized, uh, being seen and noticed, right? where do you find your confidence? Um, well, I mean, part of what's happening here in verse 19 all right, the, the, the priests and the Levites have been sent by the Pharisees to come investigate John the Baptist out in the wilderness. He's out by the River Jordan baptizing, and they're saying, who are you? Right? Who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? What gives you the right to do these things? And the, the subtle uh, subtext right, is, are you crazy and are you a heretic? Right? Are, you doing, are you actually from God? Now, I think our default mode is, to get confidence, I don't know about you, but it's often, isn't it just giving yourself a pep talk? Right, you got this, kind of tell yourself how awesome you are, or or you got through this before, you can do it again. Um, You know, Michelle Obama, this is what she says about confidence, is your your success is determined by your own confidence and fortitude. So if you wanna be successful, you better find confidence. Here, here's uh, Bernard Baruch. He was an early 1900s uh, Wall Street guy. Here's where he gets his confidence. Right? Be who you are. Say what you feel. Because those who mind don't matter. And those who matter don't mind. Right? Co- you find your confidence in yourself. Right? You can, or you could sing like Moana. No one knows how far I'll go. I won't sing it because that'll just... I'll ruin every Disney movie for you, All right? John the Baptist is confident. He's under the microscope. He's being investigated for what he's doing. He's, he's confident in who he is. He says he confessed, and he did not deny, and he confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not Messiah. I am not the Messiah. Um, but what he's, what he's doing here is, is responding, All right. I mean, On the one hand, it makes sense that he's being investigated. John is the son of a priest, so along come some priests to say, what are you doing? Um, find out these are sent by the Pharisees. They want to know, is he a false prophet? Why is he baptizing? What is he teaching? John, who, who are you? Who do you think you are? Right? And, and fascinating is John is confident in his testimony, but not confident in himself. That's what we're going to see here. Right? He's, he's the kind of guy that you're going to see later in, in a different gospel who calls out King Herod for, for taking his brother's wife, No, know, fully knowing that that would put his life in jeopardy. That takes courage. And here in our text, his reputation is so good, uh, you'd say he's successful. He, he's in elite company. They wonder if he's the Messiah, right? Are you the Savior of the world? Are you Moses, uh, uh, the prophet like Moses, I should say, or are you the, the Elijah-type, actual, the re-embodiment of Elijah that Malachi foretold in Malachi chapter 4? Right? It's a good company to be with, Elijah, Moses, and the Messiah in, in the Scriptures. All right? and in basketball terms, it's, it's like hanging out with LeBron, Jordan, and Bird. Right? There you I, just, I knew there would be someone out there. <laughs> um, but what's shocking about John is despite this high praise, this high reputation, this is confidence, is look at verse 27. He says, um, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. I'm not even worthy to take off Jesus' sandals. Right? And in the ancient world, that role was the lowest of the low slave in the house. Because nobody wants the job to go touch people's feet that are covered in dust and dung and dirt. And John says, I'm not worthy to do that. Does that sound confident? I and mean, when you keep adding to this portrait of John's identity, and you see how humble he is. It gets lower, right? After taking this legal oath where he confesses, denies, and confesses, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet. He says, I am the voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah said. Which is a direct quote from Isaiah 40, and this voice crying out in Isaiah 40 was saying, God is coming, everyone prepare. And it was the ancient practice that when the king was coming, they would would build new roads, right? The king shouldn't shouldn't suffer, and so you would tear down the hills, raise up the valleys, make a straight road so the path is easy for the king to get to your home. And Isaiah said, sometime in the future, there's going to be a voice crying in the wilderness, the Lord is coming, prepare yourself. And John says, I'm that voice. All right? And the wilderness, what's interesting is the wilderness in Israel's history was not a place where israel was known to respond well right it go read you just read the beginning of the the story of israel they're in the wilderness and they're told what to do and over and over again like stubborn toddlers they say no right repent change circumcise your heart uh, trust and obey and they're constantly grumbling and complaining and they want to kill moses they did not listen to the voice of the lord And so, to be John, John's comparing himself to a voice in the wilderness crying out, God is coming. John has a lonely voice, right? It's lonely to have people, to to speak out loud, fully knowing that nobody's going to listen to you. Just ask any parent, right? Walk into the room, it's time for bed. No one moves. It's like you're not even there. Right, John is a lonely voice. He's also a nameless voice. Look at his self-identity. He said, like, "I'm just a voice. It's not about me. It's about Jesus." Right. And so you're getting this portrait of a man who is has a reputation of being maybe the Messiah, maybe Moses, maybe Elijah, these great men of faith, and yet his humility is way down here. I'm a lonely voice. My name doesn't matter. I'm not worthy to take off Jesus' shoes. All right? How counterintuitive is that? <laughs> I mean, it's very countercultural to how I'm trained to think about myself in our culture, right? If, you, if you're going to be in our culture, you know what we teach our kids? You need to find your voice. Speak your truth out loud. Let your light shine. Tell the world who, who you are. They need to know your name, all right? I mean, I won't sing Hamilton either, right? But that's, that's half, of, half of the song. I'm not going to throw away my shot. I want to be known. The world's going to know your name. And yet here's John. I'm not worthy to be the, the lowest slave of slaves to take off Jesus' shoes. I'm a nameless voice. I don't want credit. I'm a lonely voice. I'm going to tell you who Jesus is, whether you listen to me or not. And we know Telling representatives of the Pharisees they're not going to listen. And the heart of his witness is don't look at me. There's one coming after me. He deserves all your attention. So you could put it this way it seems like John is saying, I am not worthy, is the secret of his confidence. He's not confident in himself, he's confident in the one to come. He's confident in Jesus so how does that relate to your own confession and how you see yourself, All right? Do you have the humility to say, I'm not worthy to untie Jesus' shoes? Right. I mean, you can, there's another picture here in verse 30. John is, is also saying, after me comes someone who has a higher rank than me because he existed before me, talking about Jesus' divinity. But you have this great man who's saying, you know, I'm okay living in Jesus' shadow. I'm not first, Jesus is. I mean, you can, there's a website out there called IamSecond.com, and it's a testimony of Christians in all different walks of life, and that's their testimony. I'm not, I'm not the Messiah. right? So, what do you think about John's confidence? I mean, this is the ordinary uh, testimony of the Christian, actually, uh, to, to have a low view of ourselves and a, and a high view of Jesus. And that is really hard to live out. <laughs> because the Christian path to confidence means I pay t- less attention to myself. And I know if I, if I were in a different context and we were able to start saying, okay, how do you see yourself? I'm not worthy to untie someone's shoes. The pushback would be, well, where's your self esteem? right? Unworthy, it seems you, you need counseling, right? What kind of trauma happened in, the, in your life? Uh, you need some self-love, you need some affirmation, you just, you just need more confidence inside. And yet John knows himself. <laughs> right? He's, he sees who Jesus is and says, that, that's not me. I'm not worthy. So I think in a small way, because of who Jesus is that we're going to talk about in a moment, John is helping us see what freedom from unhealthy self-absorption looks like. He says, I'm not the center of attention. Point to someone else, right? That's 1-6. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, but he was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. I'm not Jesus, right? And I want to argue, we'll look at the baptism here, this view of yourself, that's that's the path of belief in the gospel. This is the the ordinary path of discipleship for every Christian. Because look look at the way John's baptism works, right? He's showing us that we should all have a similar testimony, I'm not worthy, because what is he doing? He's baptizing, right? And what what were all these people that were going out to, to be baptized by John doing? Right, they're in the, the River Jordan, uh, in, the, in the region where Israel of old crossed through the river to receive their gift into the Promised Land. Functionally, here's what, here's what they were doing. Right? You have all these Hebrew followers of Yahweh who were leaving the Promised Land going to the Jordan River and saying, I am a sinner. If God is coming, I have no hope, save God's mercy. It was called a baptism of repentance, right? Basically, what what would happen is is they were going out and, and saying, I need salvation. I need forgiveness. I need help. And it's interesting, if they're going out to the Jordan River, part of what they're, what, they're, what they're saying is, just because I am an Israelite, that is not enough to guarantee my salvation. I have to have this personal interaction with the living God, right? Because the way baptism worked in Old Testament times, the only people who were being baptized before Jesus and before John the Baptist were non-Jews, the Gentiles. And they would go through a ritual of being cleansed by water, symbolizing their need to be cleansed from their, their sin and its pollution and its stain. we saying. You know, there's a dark spot. I need to wash it off. And what's fascinating then is the Jewish people, the, the literal uh, genealogical children of Abraham, are saying, my family heritage is not enough. To get on God's good side. If, if the Lord is coming, as John is saying in his preaching, I'm in trouble. Right? And so the Jews are saying, we look in, but we're not. We need, we need mercy. In other words, their confession would be, and it should be the confession of every Christian, I am in just as much need of mercy and forgiveness as my pagan neighbor's. That's what these Jews were doing, going out to John the Baptist. Saying, John Baptist, baptize me. I'm a lawbreaker. I'm a moral failure. I haven't kept the covenant. I need help. I'm unworthy. And that was what was so shocking for the Pharisees, because why would these people who have the Old Testament scriptures, who have Moses, who have Abraham, have all these great men of the faith, why would they say, I need help? Well, God is coming. And He knows. He, he knows you. And so, this is the setup then, John, why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, Elijah or the Prophet? He says, Well, you know, I baptize with water, but that doesn't change anyone. Right? There's someone here whose sandals I'm not unworthy to tie untie. I baptize with water. But when he comes, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. In other words, God's power and presence are going to come through this person. And so John is saying to everybody, get ready, own your sin, own your stuff. <laughs> Let your confession be, I'm not worthy, but get ready, a better baptism is coming, not from me, from, from Jesus, who he introduces, right? So how do we, how do we get to that point? Uh, to where you can confidently say, I am unworthy, and be okay, <laughs> right? And not have a complex. And, and so, this is the second point. The source of John's confidence is in verse 29. Right? The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's the reason John is confident He's not drowning in self-pity. He's not hating himself. He's not drowning in despair. He knows Jesus. He knows the Lamb of God is coming. Right. And notice, notice what Jesus is called. For everyone, every tribe, tongue, and nation. Right. It's not a trumpet blast saying, "Here comes the King," to whom the nations are just a drop in the bucket. Here comes the king who's ready to smoke all of his enemies. Who's going to beat down the traitors who failed him? Who's going to rout the sinners and get rid of everyone who's not in his side? That's not what he says. Nor does he say, "Here comes your friend from heaven." Right? He'll, talk, he'll call Jesus friend. We'll talk about those things. He doesn't say, "Here comes your comforter, a counselor, a life coach." At the heart of what John wants us to see, out of the multitude of ways to see Jesus in the scriptures here is the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. The sin of the world. Not just the Jews, Jews and Gentiles alike. And so, this is the source of his confidence. What, is, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Lamb? The Lamb of God in particular. Well, in the Old Testament, there's a, a few places where lambs are mentioned. All right, you have the Passover lamb. That would be the story of the Exodus when Israel took refuge under the blood of the Lamb as God's justice came down in Egypt. Also another portrait that Israel was just as guilty as their neighbors. (laughs) Um, You would have a lamb in Exodus 29 slaughtered morning and evening as a burnt offering so that God's presence and glory in particular could be with God's people. And then you would also have the Lamb of Isaiah 53, um, the suffering servant who lays down his life for our sins, who Isaiah says, this person who will come will be like a lamb before the slaughter, who in complete trust in the Lord will lay down his life for many so that all those who believe, right, those by his death will be made righteous. The Lamb of God is I'm, I'm assuming John is trying to pack all of these together. Um, but most likely, Isaiah 53 is first and foremost. Because what what we're seeing here is Jesus, the Lamb of God, if He's coming to take away sin, He's not coming to shame you. He's coming to help you. And he's not coming to leave you in unhealthy self-condemnation and self-loathing that our culture would think, oh, I'm unworthy, would communicate. Right? I mean, what do you think about, what, is, what does it mean for Jesus to take away sin? What is sin? Uh, this was our reflection last week, but here's, this is a teacher, a Bible teacher. A guy named Simon Zoll says, you know, when modern people hear the word sin what I actually think they hear me say is something like this. It is right f- to judge people for their flaws rather than have compassion on them. In a way, you could say that my students don't like the idea of sin because it sounds immoral to them. That, In other words, what he's saying is the moment you accuse someone of being a sinner, what our neighbors hear who don't know the, the context, the bigger story, what they hear is, you hate me. You think I'm terrible. You think I'm the worst. And if you think I'm the worst, I'm fine. You're a bigot. <laughs> right? I'm not perfect, but I'm better than you. Now, if Jesus is the lamb of God who's come to take away sin, it's showing and he is showing you what God is like and how he deals with sin. You're being shown a God who is for sinners. Right. And God's approach is the weight of your self-love, your self-obsession, your lack of love for me, your lack of love for neighbor, your inability to keep the law. Right. Can't you tell that's crushing you? Can't you tell that's weighing you down? Right. Let Jesus take that away from you because every human being He's taking away the sin of the world. This is a, a worldwide problem. Jesus is coming to offer something that everyone needs. Let him take that. Another popular way of gaining confidence is to say, oh, I'm awesome, look at my good deeds, my quality, right? Look at my successes. And that's how you just kind of drown out the, the, the noise in, the, in your head that says I'm not great. Um, but if you, you listen Let me turn that around. What happens when you're criticized, right? How well do you handle criticism? By cheering for yourself, right? Based on how how Twitter goes or or just how we interact with each other, I would argue that just trying to pump yourself up to cover up your sin, to feel like an okay person, it isn't working because we're extremely sensitive, I mean, Pastor Jack Miller would say it's like everybody is walking around as an exposed nerve. Everybody's so angry. Sounds a little bit like the Hulk, but, but it's the same idea, right? Now what, what John's testimony is, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's, he's coming to take our sin as far as, as the East is from the West. And that's the center of our confidence that in Christ, the Lamb. Who takes away our sin? Our confidence is not in ourselves. It can't be. Because I'm my biggest problem. Right. And so, follow the, the train of thought here in, in John Jesus is the Lamb of God, which means He's God's idea to take away our sin. And John says, The Lamb of God is the one whom the Holy Spirit came down on like a dove at Jesus' baptism. And then he ends his testimony by saying this person is the Son of God. That is my witness. And so there's a little note there. It could be saying the chosen one of God or the Son of God. The different manuscripts say different things. If it's the chosen one, here's what John is saying. This is the one in whom God delights from Isaiah 42. (laughs) The person who's going to come and And heal all the brokenness in the world. Do justice for the nations. Even to the point where I can care for broken wicks and bruised reeds, people who are barely holding it together. Right, that's the portrait of, of the Lamb. It it adds to that fierce tenderness, right? If, if He's going to do justice, He needs power. If he's going to fix what's wrong with everyone, just look, just read the news. Look, I know it's a depressing place to go, but the world is falling apart. And he's saying Jesus has the power to right all that is wrong, and he has the tenderness to speak a word of comfort to those who are so sensitive and beaten down that a wrong word will just break them, a bruised reed. That's who Jesus is. It's John's testimony. If he's God's son, the son of God, well, we're getting told a different story. All right, that, that's alluding to the Abraham and Isaac story. All right? You remember in Genesis twenty two when God says to Abraham, 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 I want you to take your only son, your son whom you love, and offer him up as a sacrifice. And to everyone's surprise, Abraham says, Okay. This was a child sacrifice. That was, that's what Israel's neighbors did. It didn't make any sense. Why would God tell Abraham to give up the child of promise that he well, he, Abraham didn't work hard for it, but right? It was just such a central, long waiting thing for Abraham. But Abraham said, okay, I'll do it. I understand, God, you're telling me that I, I'm a sinner. Right? In some way, Abraham understood. That hey, I have a checkered history. I abused my servant Hagar. I I had my son Ishmael through her, and I didn't think about the damage it would do to her. That and many other sins are coming being called to account. Someone has to pay. And so part of what the story of Genesis twenty two, when Abraham walks up the hill, he's testifying, I'm not worthy. I need someone to cover and pay for my failures. And of course, all of us who are Christians who know the rest of the story of the Bible that says God hates this, we're going, to Abraham, what are you doing? <laughs> and so is his son Isaac, right? Isaac's walking up the hill with his dad, Mount Moriah, saying, Father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Notice that word, lamb. And Abraham's response is, God will provide the lamb for the offering, my son. It's personal, my son. So they take this agonizing, torturous walk, heading towards justice, grief, and confusion. And Isaac, the beloved son, the son whom Abraham loves, trusts his father like a lamb silenced before its slaughter, climbs onto the altar, allows himself to be bound, and Abraham takes out the knife to kill his son. And it's at that point the angel of the Lord intervenes. It says, do not lay your hand on the boy. Or do anything to him, for now I know you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And at that point, Abraham heard a ram caught in the thorns. And there was a substitute, the, the ram in the place of Isaac. But Abraham still had to go back down the hill, going, what was that all about? My sins haven't been dealt with. He went back down the hill saying, the Lord will provide. That's what he called it. That's what he called the place. He knows he's received mercy. And as it said, there's a little note that says, as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. In other words, on this particular mountain, look for a lamb that God will provide for the sacrifice for sin. Part of the reason that story's in there is, yeah, so that we would see in dramatic fashion, God is not okay with child sacrifice because he wants you to know that he is going to be the one who provides for sin. But if you have that story ringing in your ears and you come back to to John, he's saying, look, here's the lamb God provided. He's going to take away your sin. He's God's beloved son, the one whom God loves. And he's coming so that you would know, despite your unworthiness, that that God loves you. Because this is God's plan. And so just as the ram, given in the place of Isaac, found itself entangled with thorns, Jesus, on that same mountain range, Mount Moriah, where Jerusalem was in John's day, Possibly the same mountain. Jesus was given a crown of thorns on the cross. And so Jesus, better than Isaac, silent like a lamb, Uh, by his wounds, we are being healed, we're being cleansed. He's going through a better baptism because the judgment for our sin is falling on him. See, God's Son, the Lamb of God, he's taking it away. <laughs> it's gone. And that's, that's our confidence. Because if Jesus paid the price for every sin that you have committed, you are committing, <laughs> and will commit, what do you have to be afraid of when a little criticism comes your way? If God isn't condemning you, You know, part of the Christian confidence and confession is, I'm not worthy, but I'm loved. God provided for me a lamb. Do you know him that way? (laughs) Do you know Jesus as the one who set you free from yourself? That's what happens in the baptism, because Jesus, John says, the one who comes, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. We don't know yet exactly what that means. We're going to get into that later in John. But in the Old Testament, if God's Spirit showed up, you saw his power, his presence, and his life. And so part of what, what John's testimony is, here's Jesus. He's the one that all the sacrifices point to so that God may, his Spirit may dwell with you. You're made clean, right? If, if John's testimony is, get ready, God is coming. And, and I'm gonna, he's going to baptize you so that the Spirit comes on you. This is John saying, the way you get the living God to dwell with you, the way you get ready for God's coming, <laughs> is to put your faith in the Lamb of God, who, who will heal what's wrong with you. And he will heal things in you you didn't even know were wrong. That's part of the process. That somehow you will be saturated and filled and baptized with the life of God. Hmm. Probably could connect this to what John says To all who receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. You'll be God's child. So let me close with these, these questions here How do you respond when you're criticized? You know, you're in John's shoes. Um, As someone who knows Jesus the Lamb, it's really tempting to get defensive, to walk around very touchy, um, to want to run and hide, to just hate yourself because here I am again. And part of what belief in the Lamb of God looks like is to embrace humility, to let go of our self-absorption, say, yeah, I'm unworthy. You're right. (laughs) I didn't do that well, and you don't even know the half of it, right? But because I know I'm deeply loved, I can listen to criticism, because criticism is a chance for you to be asked, who are you? Well, I either have to defend myself and justify myself, or I am a Christian. I know I don't do things well, and I know the Lamb of God took away my sin it's a chance to trust him right the answer is i'm loved by the lamb and what you have to say to me does not define me and i know that because what does john see when he sees the the heavenly throne room when he gets to revelation 5 he looks you know he's in despair because there's no one worthy in the human race to to unpack god's will to redeem all things and then one of the angels says, don't be afraid, the lion the tri- from the tribe of Judah has conquered, right? Here's this picture of a conquering king, the one who slays his enemies. And then when John looks, what does he see? He says, behold, I saw a lamb, one standing there like a lamb who has been slain. He's in the, the heart of power. The same Jesus is the one, the same Jesus in the gospel of John is the same Jesus who's ascending sitting at the right hand of God, defending us as a lamb slain. It's a good place to be. I say, I'm going to let Jesus be my defense. Second, what do we learn from John's witness? Um, the heart of John's witness is, I'm not Jesus, and I can't try to be, <laughs> Right? So I have good news for you. You are not the Savior of the world, and it is not Hope Church's job to be Jesus. We can't. We're not the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Our job is to boldly tell others who Jesus is, whether they listen to us or not. That's what's happening in our text. Some are listening and saying, yeah, someone's coming. And we're going to see next, next week, there are some disciples. Behold the Lamb. Say, okay, I'm going with that guy. Bye, John. You're not the man. Now, the heart of the Christian witness, I mean, one way to do it would be to show how you handle criticism. Just live out your faith in the gospel. Jesus defends me. And then tell them how, where you find the resources to do that. But the other piece is to be okay, saying I'm not worthy to untie Jesus's shoes, and yet I have the infinite love of God the Father. Look at him, not at me. You know, I'm, I, I'm not qualified for this job, <laughs> to, to be Jesus. Mm-hmm. So do you, believe, do you see Jesus in that way? I mean, we're going to get into more of what it means to, to witness and to testify and, and, and to, to, to model what, what faith looks like. We're going to see that in the disciples' lives. But at the heart of what John's witness is, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And just let it sit and see what the Lord does with it. There's a, there's a story uh, told by Charles Spurgeon that he was getting ready to preach to one of the largest crowds ever in the Crystal Palace in London. Um, right, Charles Spurgeon was the, was the 18th, 1800s uh, big famous Baptist preacher. He was so, so famous that his sermons were written up in the New York Times and published the next day. It right, just shows how things have changed. Um, right. He so he went into the the, the Crystal Palace, which was going to hold something like twenty three thousand people. This is pre pre microphones, and he just wanted to practice his sermon. So he stood up at the pulpit and said in his deep booming voice, whatever that was, "Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." And there there happened to be a, a, a guy doing repairs in the corner of the building that heard him, and had no context of what was going on. All we knew, it, he, he told Spurgeon later on his deathbed that that, that was the start of my conversion. <laughs> because he, had to, he went home, he just went home from work that day, just shaken, They said, yeah, I have problems and here's someone who can help me. And after much struggling, much wrestling, he saw the lamb that was for him, not against him. <laughs> right. That's our testimony. Do you know Jesus as the lamb? Meditate on him and let your confidence in Jesus grow you as you receive the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus who gives us that grace. We thank you for just this amazing sacrifice that upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brings us peace. So I pray for those of us who as sensitive consciences uh, who are tortured every day by our, our weakness, by our failure, by our not-enoughness, uh, that you would show them Jesus the Lamb. And I also pray that you would show us who are, are, are confident in ourselves, uh, who depend on our successes to get our own sense of Christian identity. Uh, Lord, I, show us the path of humility that we too can say, like John, I am not worthy to untie Jesus' shoes, but we are loved. So may pour out your love into our hearts this morning by your Spirit, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen.